Pray with me this morning. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to open your word. Uh, I pray that uh, you would find us receptive, Lord, to the word, responsive to the word, and uh, enable us, Father, to be more reflective of the image of Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. I wonder if you have a favorite fast foodish kind of place. Do you have a favorite fast foodish kind of place? Chick-fil-A. Amen, brother. You preach it. Your your grade on your report card might go up, Steve. Thank you. Although he could be buttering up the teacher. Other favorite fast food places out there? Jays. What? Jays. 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 All right. Jays. All right. Others. All of the rest of you are oblivious to the fast food world. Arby's. 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 America's roast beef. Yes, sir. Schlotzky's. Schlotzky's. Interesting choice. What? Taco Bell. Uh huh. What? Huddle House. All right. Subway. These are interesting choices. Say what? Not yet. (laughs) Not so fast. Well, there are an interesting variety of fast food choices that you've expressed this morning, and Steve, in his very sincere endorsement of Chick-fil-A, has acknowledged my personal fast food choice. It might be true that we drive 100 miles every Friday to go get some Chick-fil-A. It might be true that that's the case. It might be the case that when there's a Monday holiday, it's a two Chick-fil-A kind of week, two trips to Chick-fil-A kind of, that might be true. Uh, McDonald's, of course, as Corey has expressed, in that spontaneous and unprompted moment, that might be true that McDonald's is on some people's lists of fast food places. I have to confess to you, it's not my favorite fast food place. Um, I've been to so many McDonald's where they've taken both the fast and the food out of the equation that it just doesn't even feel to me like a fast food place. But a while back, McDonald's started this thing they call the Happy Meal. You know about the Happy Meal, right? It's not just the food that's in that little box with the big smile on it. There's stuff in there. There's fun stuff in there. There's little games that come in really small pieces that when your kids get a hold of them, they lose and you can never find them again. And it's a big crisis for some reason. But the Happy Meal, I think these McDonald's folks, they stumbled onto something with that. And I think what they stumbled on is there, there, there can be more to a meal than just eating the food, Right? It's a bigger event. And though we sometimes downplay it, it's my experience that the fellowship around a meal can have powerful effect in the lives of people. And what that reminds me of, anyways, is the fact that that, that Jesus took a meal and made it, anchored it, as, the, as a memorable moment, a repeatable, memorable moment in the lives of people who would come to follow him, to be called Christians. So, you and I, we have been cruising at really high speed through the Gospel of Mark over the last couple of weeks or so. 
And it's not always the case that the passage that we land on lines up with the other things that we tend to do in our worship service. But here we are in the Gospel of Mark, landing on the episode of the Last Supper on the day when we typically celebrate communion. And what we're going to do today is be purposeful about recognizing the work of Jesus as it's represented in, the, represented, excuse me, in this meal. And we're going to respond to his invitation to be part of the, he's going to use the word many, to, to, to be part of that crowd, that group of people that choose to identify with him. So we're going to turn to the Gospel of Mark this morning, chapter 14. I'm going to read verses 12 through 26. If you're following along in the Pew Bible in front of you, it's on page 1579. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 14, starting at verse 12. The setup is this. They're about to enter what we're going to call the Passion Week. And Jesus is going to eat together with the disciples this meal, this traditional Jewish celebration, this Passover meal. The Passover meal was an annual reminder to the Jewish people, the people of Israel, the followers of Yahweh, the Lord God, that he had rescued them from the land of Egypt. So every year they had this Passover meal. It was a big deal. Big deal. And Jesus is about to celebrate that with his disciples. And so that's where we are. Uh, Verse 12, on the first day of the festival of unleavened bread... When it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he, Jesus, sent two of his disciples telling them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house he enters, the teacher asks, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. The disciples left, went into the city, and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining at the table, he said, Truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who's eating with me. They were saddened, and, and one by one they said to him, Surely you don't mean me. It is one of the twelve, he replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would have been better for him if he had not been born. While they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it, this is my body. Then he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. Truly, I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So what's going on in this passage? Remember that this is an annual festival that the Jewish people celebrated. And what's going to happen in this annual festival is Jesus is going to infuse it with new meaning focused on his work that's coming on the cross. So first, Mark 
unpacks for us this need for kind of physical preparation, right? In verses 12 through 16, that's what all this stuff is all about there. Jesus sends the dudes out, the two guys out. He sends them to uh, finalize the preparations that he's made. It's clear that some things have happened in advance. He knows about the guy with the water jar and the particular house that the He's expecting the teacher to come with his disciples. So uh, he calls for the disciples, though, to kind of finish the job. And what's going on here is a recognition that we are physical, material creatures. Stuff for us to do usually requires some kind of physical preparation. Back in the book of Genesis, we record the, the Bible records the fall of Adam and Eve to sin when they chose to disobey God All by themselves, they just chose to disobey. But before that, God had said to this couple, I have stuff for you to do. Work is built into the human DNA. Having stuff to do, being productive, is part of how God has constructed us. And so it's no surprise that in all of these things that are unpacked in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus gives his disciples some stuff to do. You remember, right, the feeding of the thousands of people. He says to the disciples, go get them some lunch. And they panic because they have no way to get them lunch. And even if they had the money, they couldn't get enough lunch for 5,000 people. Any of you folks ever walked home into your home and said to your spouse, oh, by the way, There's 5,000 people coming for dinner. (laughs) But this idea that we are physical creatures, we are constructed to work. I was uh, a young man, like a couple years ago, just a really young man. And um, I was working for a discount department store in New England called J.M. Fields. They had stores up and down the East Coast. They, were going, they went bankrupt eventually. It was not my fault. <laughs> but as they were tumbling towards insolvency, they began a series of layoffs. And the store manager called me, and I was the department manager for the housewares department. That was like the biggest department in the store. I hate housewares to this very day. But nonetheless, uh, he calls me in and he says, Howard, I'm sorry, but we're going to have to let you go. Here's two weeks' pay. See ya. And I was devastated, not just because the income had gone away, but the first thing I said to myself was, what am I going to do tomorrow? We are constructed to be productive. And so Jesus knows that about us, and he knows that about his disciples, so he's made these preparations for this Passover meal, and he, he has given them stuff to do. Some of you like to do projects. I've gotten to know some of you who like to do projects. I am not a project kind of person. I can do the projects. I just don't like it. We bought a new barbecue one time. Laura went off to work. And uh, I put the barbecue pieces. I laid out all the pieces of the barbecue in the garage. Got all the tools they suggested to put the barbecue together. And I spent hours. Joyful hours putting together this barbecue, only to get to the very end and realize that the uh, regulator didn't fit our propane tank. One of the many reasons I dislike projects. But here's the thing. 
You and I, because we are material creatures, we sometimes think that when the material work is done, the project is done. We build a church building, we think we're done because we've got a building. We redo a floor in the, in, the, in the fellowship hall, we think we're done because it looks nicer. We, we renovate the Williams room, and I've I got to tell you, the folks that worked on that, it came out beautifully. But because the project, the physical part of the project is done, we tend to think we're done. But that's not the case. That is not the case. Because as Jesus is going to demonstrate here, what is even more important, can you imagine, even more important than the material preparation is spiritual preparation. Verses 18 and 19. Words which were echoed by Ralph when he read for us from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We ought to examine ourselves before we eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And even in this very first iteration of what we now call the Last Supper, even in that very first iteration, the people that were gathered around that table were a mixed bag. Some of the disciples were going to flake out immediately when Jesus got arrested. They were going to run for the hills. Peter, Peter of the no filter on his brain to his mouth, no filter at all, who always just kind of said whatever popped into his head. Yes, Jesus, I'm going to stand with you. Well, that didn't work out very well. But beyond that, there's a guy at the table whose name is Judas, is going to purposefully betray the Savior. Now, Jesus' betrayal is unique in all of recorded history. But trust me when I say that I know in my life there's a tendency to betray the Savior. By not being the person he's called me to be, by not honoring it with my heart, mind, soul, and strength, by reserving parts of my life for myself. God, you can have all this stuff over here, but this stuff over here, I just want to keep it for me. Thank you very much. We all have this tendency. And so one of the reasons why we have offered up this notion of an annual spiritual checkup, which I guess has caused some of you to quake in your boots... One of the reasons we offer this up is because you and I, we're in this together. We are partners in the body of Christ. We have this, this joyful responsibility to help each other see how deep we can go with Jesus. So, in here, Jesus says, hey, pay attention to the issues of the heart and mind. And there's, there's this kind of checkup is kind of happening on two levels in this passage. The first level is what I would call the macro level. And, and Jesus uses the word to describe his followers. He uses the word the many. Now, notice he doesn't say all. He says the many. So the macro level of the checkup is, do I have a personal relationship with Jesus? That's kind of the macro level. Without that, none of the rest of this stuff makes any sense whatsoever. 
But below the macro level is the micro level. That's where you and I get to think together with the Holy Spirit about what it is in our lives that may or may not enhance our fellowship and our relationship with God. So, um, i got to say to you that sometimes there's trash in my life. If you could read a transcript of my brain sometimes, you would run screaming from the city of Emporia. You would think to yourself, where in the world did we get this guy? Because are you reading this transcript? There is trash in here. And I'm just guessing that if we could read transcripts of your brain, there might be a little trash in there too. Oh, I know what you'd do. You'd... We'd compare, I'd compare my trash to your trash, and I'd say, my trash is way less trashy than their trash. They're trashier. But it doesn't matter. Trash is trash. I saw a sign on a garbage truck one time. It said, satisfaction guaranteed or double your trash back. <laughs> And the reason why we do this examination is because we are preparing for one of the most significant things that the people of God do. And and it's hard to walk this line because sometimes it feels perfunctory. It's the first Sunday of the month we're going to have communion. And it feels like it's a thing that we do because it's the first Sunday of the month. And we do it in a particular way at a particular time. And it can begin to feel... eh. But that's not what's supposed to be happening here. Jesus is very purposeful with his disciples when he celebrates this Passover meal. And by the time we get to the, the era, this historical period of Jesus' incarnation, the Passover meal had kind of gone through some traditional development over the centuries. So that by the time it gets to when Jesus celebrates with his disciples, the things that happen in a very particular sequence are happening for a particular reason and have particular labels attached to them. So Jesus gets to a particular place in the sequence and he picks up a piece of bread, not Peter bread, which is what this is, but it wasn't probably a flat bread, which was made of unleavened, it was unleavened, and that reminded them that way back in Egypt, when they had to leave town, they had to leave in a hurry. They didn't have time to wait for the bread to, to, uh, to rise, so it's flat bread. And he, but he takes the bread, it's a uh, bread of peace, even today when the Passover meal is celebrated, it's called Avikoman, and it has to do with brokenness. And he takes the bread when they get to this place in the meal and he breaks it off. Which they were going to do anyway because they were going to share it. But when he breaks it off, he says, this, see this, this is a word picture. This is an illustration. This is a thing you need to remember. This is my body. It's broken for you. And then in a traditional Passover celebration, by the time we got to the historical era of Jesus' incarnation, there were four cups of wine that were drunk. Not Welch's grape juice, but 
This is what the scriptures, or some of the scriptures, some of the scriptures. But the, they got to the third cup, and the third cup was called the cup of blessing. And they they pass it around, and, they, and as they're doing that, Jesus says, "You know what this is?" And some wise guy in the crowd probably said, "Yeah, it's wine. This is a test, Jesus." I wouldn't have said that, but some of you would have said that. And, and he says, this wine, this is my blood. See, it's a word picture, it's a reminder. Look at the color. This is my blood, it's shed for you. And so the preparation, physical preparation, spiritual preparation, is supposed to put us in a frame of mind where we get it, where the symbols mean something, where they have power and impact. Not in and of themselves. So, you know, theologically, I depart from those who say, this somehow now is magically the blood of the, the body of Christ. What Jesus is saying is, this is a picture. Look at it. It's broken for you. This, this blood, it's built for you. And you and I, we have no conception of no conception of how horrific a crucifixion death was going to be. But those disciples, they knew it. They had seen it. Broken body. Bloodshed. And so when we come together in the context of this meal, we are reminded of the power of the work of Jesus. But here's the thing, a thing. When we get to this event, what do we say about it? How do we describe it? We usually say we're going to celebrate communion, right? That's the word we use. So what does the picture, uh, what picture is conjured in your mind when you hear the word celebrate? It's not, eh, no big deal. We do it once a month. Neither is it, even though the symbols are immense, broken bodies, shed blood, neither is it this kind of morose, down-in-the-dumps despair. It's a celebration. Because Jesus does this, verses 22 and 24 in our passage, he does this, this blood is poured out for the many for forgiveness of sin. Jesus did this, He paid the price for our sins so that we don't have to pay it. In the middle of this meal, why do we celebrate? Because we get strength to endure. He says the words in the original language here. He says, this is my self I'm giving to you. This is me. This is the person of Christ. This is the one who says to us, we can get through whatever rolls our way because he is with us to provide the strength that's necessary to to make it. And then in verse 25, he gives us hope for the future. He says, I'm coming back. I'm going to drink this anew in the kingdom of God. I'm coming back. I have to say to you, I don't have to, but I'm going to anyway. Confess to you that I'm a fan of most of the Marvel superhero movies. I gotta tell you, 
I've watched, we've watched most of them. Sometimes Laura watches, Pastor Laura watches them with me reluctantly. But we've watched them. And then came Avengers Endgame. Spoiler alert. Iron Man dies. Iron Man, he's dead. Captain America decided to stay back and marry the love of his life and he ages and he gets to the end of the movie and he's an old dude and he's about to kick the bucket. Neither one of those superheroes is coming back. But Jesus is coming back. I will drink this anew in the kingdom. Which is why, at least as far as I'm concerned, this should be a joyful opportunity and nothing be routine about it. We are reminding ourselves that Jesus is coming back. We're reminding ourselves that we have hope. We have hope for endurance. We're reminding ourselves that our sin is forgiven. That's what's going on here. I was a brand new second lieutenant stationed at Francis E. Warren Air Force Base in Cheyenne, Wyoming. There's a lot of wind in Wyoming. I just thought I'd mention that. The first Christmas I was there, I got an invitation in the mail to the commanding general's house. I thought, this is cool. I'm special. Look, I got an invite. So, what I didn't know was that every officer on the base got an invitation to the reception at the general's house. I wasn't all that special. I thought it was special because an important guy issued an invitation to me. But today, you are special. Because Jesus has extended an invitation to you to participate in a celebratory dinner given in his honor. He has done everything to make it possible for us. All we have to do is accept his invitation to be part of the many, those who believe in him. Enjoy the forgiveness of sin. Enjoy the hope for the future. Enjoy the power to endure. To celebrate the Lord's Supper. Pray with me. Father, uh, we come to this moment in our worship time when we think about uh, this once a month event that we do celebrating the the Lord's Supper. Father, banish those ideas of routine. Reinforce in our hearts and minds the sense of Jesus' presence and power illustrated by these these symbols of bread and juice. We get to celebrate. He's coming back. We pray in Jesus' name.